Good Saturday evening, dear ones. What a wonderful meal. What a wonderful meal. I, I sense the reality uh, of such, uh, um, such an event, but a, a privilege for us to be reminded through the word, through song, through prayer, and the importance of prayer, of uh, how we can respond in difficult days. Life is hard, and it might not get easier. We opened our session last evening with that concept that was written and sung years ago. Uh, That truth we find all throughout Scripture for the believer. That life is hard, and and it might not get easier. We've discussed, and even over dinner and after dinner, uh, found out more about the just the heartaches and the struggles and the difficulties that are before us and before you as a local church. And it's not unique to Northern Hills. It's the reality for believers on the planet. And so what do we do? What do we do in the midst of difficult days? That's our challenge. That's the encouragement How do we respond biblically during difficult days? You know how sometimes a project or a homework assignment can can change and evolve. And so you should have received, and if you haven't, maybe there are still some, uh, four-by-six cards. And we're going to call those now comfort cards uh, in light of our last session together. And and your assignment... um, Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to write down on your own, at whatever pace you would like, the passages of Scripture that bring you comfort in the midst of difficult days. What are your go-to promises? What are your go-to passages? And you can broaden that if you'd like. What hymns, what songs of truth uh, that we have sung or that you are familiar with, Uh, bring you comfort in the midst of affliction, trial, and difficulty. I would prefer and encourage you to take time to do this exercise, that you could eventually carry that four-by-six comfort card in your Bible and just go to that in the midst of difficult days and go to that when you're trying to comfort someone else in the midst of difficult days as we considered our last session together. There are several other passages that are go-to for me, and I've shared that with you that we're going to be looking at, whether you like it or not, uh, my go-to passages for comfort and encouragement, uh, our biblical response uh, to difficult days. There are many others as well, Uh, but I trust the two that we look at tonight will bring uh, a great reminder and, and appropriate encouragement We closed our last session uh, considering the importance of prayer, the importance of prayer. And we looked at a particular type of prayer, intercession, praying on behalf of someone else. And we saw at the end of that section, and I'd encourage you to revisit it, uh, the importance of prayer in intercessory prayer in the midst of difficult days for other people. We all suffer and we receive in the midst of those afflictions and sufferings appropriate comfort 
from the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies. Prayer is a crucial part of our response during difficult days. I wish I could say to you that my prayer life indeed is in the, uh, its appropriate condition, that I, I don't need to work on the subject matter of prayer. But I really do. Uh, and I would imagine you do as well. Why do you think it's so hard for us to be as dedicated and committed in our, our prayer life? What, what's the struggle with praying as we ought to? Apathy, okay. Busyness of life. I think Satan doesn't want us to pray. He, I, I, I would not disagree. What were we going to say, brother? Do we really believe it? And, and what does it really convey? Prayer, by the way. It, it conveys that we can't do this on our own. And that's one of the big struggles that we are taught. And it's not wrong to be a hard worker. It's not wrong to be uh, dependable and uh, self-starters. And the list goes on. Some of us are wired and geared that way. But prayer is an acknowledgement that we can't. It's an acknowledgement of our dependency upon him. Prayer simply defined. I can hear my dad speaking, not literally. I hope you know that. I never do. (laughs) But I can recall the things he taught me, many of them, uh, much of what I share with you, uh, he, he has taught me. But I recall just learning the simple ideas of prayer. That prayer simply defined is to ask. It's to ask. And when we're asking, we're acknowledging that we need assistance. We are dependent. And so tonight, we're going to look at two concepts that have to do with our prayer life and how we are supposed to respond biblically in the midst of difficult days. So let's pray and let's ask God to help us as we look at uh, two chapter fours and the encouragement they can bring us in the midst of heartache. Father, your word tells us we've been reminded that in the midst of difficult days, uh, we are to remember, we are to recall, we are to bring to mind who you are and what you are like and what you have said and what you have promised. And as we do that, As we remember, as we recall, as we recollect, we find hope. We find help. We find comfort. We find peace. We find mercy. We find grace. We find joy in the midst of heartache and difficulty. And so, Father, help us to respond the right way. May we understand the exercise in the concept of going theology proper, that we would remember what you're like, remember what you've said, remember what you've done, remember what you've promised. And as we recall those things, we respond the right way in light of what is to be expected, what you say will be ours. And we thank you for the comfort we were reminded of earlier today. This evening, and we look forward to considering how we are supposed to approach you and what that looks like 
and what we should expect, guaranteed. But we pray, as we saw in James last night, that we would be consistent in our asking and consistent in our faith, not double-minded, not tossed like the, uh, the surf of the sea. May we ask in unwavering faith for wisdom, for help, for all that you have to offer us, Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. What a treat. We adore you. Blessed be your name for who you are and for what you are like and for the difference that makes for each of us. Help us now, we pray. Wake us up if we need to. Uh, Help us to sleep well if we need to. Uh, We just commit this time to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. It really just might be that you need a good nap. And so feel free, feel free. I would not be offended. He knows, he sees, he examines your hard attitude before him. And so feel free if that's what you need. So if I were, uh, if, if I'm approached uh, by an individual or a group of people, or if I'm asked to officiate or uh, be involved with a, a funeral, uh, often these next two chapters are my go-to's. They both are chapter fours. They both are familiar passages, but they are of great help to us. And so briefly tonight, uh, we'll look at these two chapter fours. The first is in Philippians. The first is in Philippians. Philippians chapter four. All kinds of ideas in regards to the theme of the book of Philippians, um, Some have suggested appropriately so that it's all about having the mind of Christ. We see that all throughout. Some have suggested the idea of partnership in the gospel. Uh, Some have said the book of Philippians is a a, a long thank you note uh, that is expressed from Paul to the church at Philippi. Some have suggested, and, and I lean this way, although I wouldn't die for it, but some have suggested that The theme of Philippians is joy. The theme of Philippians is joy or rejoice. It's seen there. Maybe you've read the book Laugh Again by Chuck Swindoll, a great encouragement where he embraces that reality that the theme of Philippians is the idea of joy. I had a professor in seminary named Dr. Tom Constable. Um, By the way, this is free. One of the best resources online is a resource that he's developed with others and their help and assistance. It's entitled soniclight.com. Anybody familiar with it? You should be. You could even write that on your care card just to remember. Soniclight, all one word, dot com. It's light, L-I-G-H-T, soniclight.com, all one word, soniclight.com. It is, but you can still find it at soniclight.com. It is hosted by Plano Bible Chapel, but it'll come up when you enter that as Plano Bible Chapel, and it's there. I appreciate the clarity, my dear brother. Soniclight.com. You can't use it the rest of this session, so in case if you found it, now you have to close it. <laughs> but soniclight.com is, is a great site and a great tool. It's commentary on every book of the Bible and many messages on uh, every book of the Bible. 
I could tell you a lot about Dr. Tom Constable. Some of you might know his father, uh, who was involved in the assemblies in the Chicagoland area back in, back in the day. He suggests, and I love this concept, that each chapter in the book of Philippians has something that steals our joy. Something that steals our joy. Chapter 1, he would suggest, if my memory serves me correctly, it's circumstances steal our joy. Chapter 2, people can steal our joy. Chapter 3, the idea of, of stuff can steal our joy. Chapter 4, anxiety and stress, difficulty can steal our joy. Count it all joy, we were reminded of in James chapter 1. When you fall into and experience various difficulties, trials, afflictions. Paul has great instruction for us here. And allow me to say this to you, especially those who are going through very difficult circumstances. I do not suggest this flippantly. I do not just throw this off as a, as a formulaic response to difficulty. And I do not suggest to you that this is easy. But with full conviction, I say to you, we must do it. I need to do it in the midst of my struggle with anxiousness. And you need to do it. Regardless of circumstances, we are given a couple of options here in Philippians chapter 4. And we truly need to choose wisely. Because anxiety, stress, trial, difficulty can indeed steal our joy. And so he says this in verse 5 in a very familiar passage. But please don't dismiss the, this section because you've been here before. We all have much to learn. I learned a ton uh, from my last message just in preparation and, and consideration. Uh, and I trust that's true, even if you've been here before, that we were reminded, perhaps, or we learned something new. He says it this way, Paul does. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Anxiousness is an option for us. It's a choice for us to be anxious. And sometimes you might argue it's not a choice. I can't help it. And uh, being somebody who struggles with anxiety and panic, I understand that expression and concept and response. And yet, I'll say to you, we are supposed to be uh, people who are not anxious. And so we need to remember what God says about worry and what God says about anxiety. And I have to, and I know you have to as well, we must, especially if we have this tendency, bombard ourselves with the truth and do what the truth tells us to do. There's other responses too, and sometimes help that's needed, and, and I'm not opposed to that. I hope you understand. But Paul says, believer... Let, your, let your, your temperament, your forbearing spirit be known to all. Here's the thing. The Lord is near. So in light of that truth, he says, 
Be anxious for nothing. He says to us, don't worry about anything. What do you think about that? Where Paul says to us, some of you are saying, I have just shut you down. There is no way I'm going to accept that statement. What, what do you think about that? Don't worry about anything. That really goes against our nature, no doubt. Anybody real good at that? I struggle with this one, to not worry about anything. And yet, it is the instruction we have here. Be anxious for not one thing, nothing. Don't worry about anything. Sean asked me earlier, is there any specific song you would like me to sing tonight or anything else I can do for you, a true servant? And I said, I would love for you to sing Hakuna Matata. <laughs> and and for, for some reason, he just was unwilling to do that. <laughs> Hakuna Matata. What a wonderful phrase. Hakuna Matata. Ain't no passing craze. It means what? No worries for how long? Thank you for coming. It's my problem-free philosophy. Hakuna Matata. Let's close in prayer. Yes, yes. That concept is not original with Disney, friends. We are instructed here. And remember, stress, anxiety, worry steals our joy. We're instructed here by Paul to be anxious for nothing. But he doesn't just leave us hanging there and say, hope that works for you. Have a nice day. He tells us what we're supposed to do instead. And here's where we struggle. We struggle with doing what he says instead. And that's why this is so hard. We, we, I'm including me, hear me say that. The homiletical we. We have a tendency, like Peter, to look at the waves around us, to look at the circumstances and get stuck there instead of responding the way Paul tells us to here. Be anxious for not one thing, Worry about nothing. And then he says, but here's what you're supposed to do instead. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. That's in it all. In everything. By the way, we are supposed to give thanks in all things and for all things. And we'll see that even here. But Paul says, instead of being anxious in anything, or for any reason, instead of being anxious, he says, instead do this, but in everything with, and then he goes on to address for us ways that we communicate with God. Our dependency often occurs through these various means of communication with God. Prayer is asking. That's one way we communicate with God. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. What is prayer? To ask. But in everything by prayer. And then what does it say? Supplication. What is supplication? Continuing resolve. 
there's resolve there, but it's, it, it describes the way in which we ask. Supplication is different than, than a request or simply to ask. Supplication is that pleading. Supplication is when we are so desperate for assistance and have recognized and acknowledged we can't do this on our own, that we beg him to help us. Have you ever done that? Have you ever been in such a difficult circumstance that you are desperate for his help? And so you beg him. I've been there on many occasions, several occasions, numerous occasions. And so have you. Where we supplicate before God. It's a better option than worry. It's a better option than being anxious, being anxious for nothing. So that's not supposed to be our go-to or our default way of dealing with difficult circumstances. Instead, he says, ask. Instead, he says, ask earnestly through prayer, but in everything, by prayer and supplication. And then he says this, and some of you don't like that he says it, but that's on you. With thanksgiving. He says that. He's saying that in what contextual circumstance? Anything that would cause us to be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. Be anxious for nothing. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. We diminish the value of prayer. And Paul is saying, that's the better option. Pray and communicate with God through various means that we have. Prayer, simply, to ask. Supplication, to ask earnestly or to beg. Thanksgiving. What are we to be thankful for in the midst of this context? What's he talking about? The fact that we have, an, we have access. Thank you. Not only do we have access, but there is, there, there's a source, there's an answer that is found in the one who we have access to. Could he actually be meaning that the circumstance that we find as difficult, that brings about anxiety, we're supposed to give thanks for that too? Could he really be meaning that? It seems so, doesn't it? And he says it elsewhere. He says it elsewhere. To give thanks for all things, Paul tells us, but in all things, he tells us to give thanks. I don't like that. I promise you. I don't like the reality of that one because that's really hard to say in the midst of it. I'm asking. I'm begging. I, I, I need your help. And I'm saying to you, I'm thankful for who you are. And I'm thankful for what you're doing. And I'm thankful for the fact that I know you're at work in this circumstance in my life as well. This is not easy. I confess that to you. It is not easy. But it is how we are supposed to respond. Worry about nothing. And I know you're saying, really, John? I'm not saying it. He's saying it. 
We are supposed to not worry about today or tomorrow and the other passages that come to mind. That's really the truth. It's still so hard, but it's still what we should be striving for. And so our choice is to worry about nothing and pray about everything. When I'm praying about everything, I I don't worry as much. Have you noticed that? When we're bringing it before him, asking, asking earnestly. And I'm not making light of your circumstances. I know they're hard. I know they're hard. But I'm trying for all of us to be encouraged to do this anyway in the midst of the really heart-wrenching realities that are before you in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. He says, let your request be made known unto God. Let your request be made known unto God. He knows them anyway, right? He's all omniscient, he's all-knowing, but there's benefit to us as believers as we express to him our need, as we ask. Let your request be made known unto God. And then, and then what is said next is what we should expect. It's not something that's, that's magic or something that is mystical that will take place. It's a description of who God is and how he wants to deal with us in our difficult circumstances. And, and we, we have all been here and can say, I know exactly what that is like. Listen to what he says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, asking and supplication, asking earnestly or begging, with thanksgiving, in and for all things. Let your requests be made known unto God. And guess what is promised? And the peace of God. There's a phrase that has been uh, so significant in my life this last year. I use it as a password. I told you. The phrase, perfect peace. There's a hymn we have sung, uh, some of us, for decades. Like a river glorious. And the chorus describes this. Stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed, finding as he promised, what? Perfect peace and rest. I'm staying with the Davises. Did you know that? I tend to do that uh, when I'm in Cincinnati. And I'm honored and privileged especially to be doing so at this uh, season of life for them. You know what it says right above my bed in the guest bedroom? Do you know what it says? Isaiah 26.3. What's it say? He will keep him in what? Perfect peace. And what is necessary for that to occur? Whose mind is what? Stayed on thee. Why? Because he trusts in thee. And then what's the next verse, by the way? That's often not on the wall. What's the next verse? Trust in the Lord our God forever. For he is a rock eternal. Check it. Make sure that wasn't too loose a paraphrase. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. You see, something is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. That's why it's even possible for us to be anxious about nothing. 
Because he says, when you, when you approach and when you ask and when you do so, and it's not a formula, but it's what we're supposed to do instead of being anxious. He says, and the peace of God, which what? Surpasses all what? Comprehension or, or, and or understanding. That is this, my friends. That is when we can say in the midst of losing a loved one that we did not expect to lose or we did expect to lose. We can say we have perfect peace. And I can't really explain to you how that is. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding and or comprehension, where we would not be able to say, I just want to explain to you how this works. We cannot explain it. But it's guaranteed. It is ours. Ask people that are going through it, that are clinging to, if they've experienced or are experiencing perfect peace. Ask them. And how it is incomprehensible, inconceivable, that we cannot explain it. But what does it say it does? This incomprehensible, perfect peace. What does it say it does? That peace, what does it do? It guards or garrisons, right? Protects two things. What are the two things this perfect peace protects that is beyond our comprehension or comprehension? I said that twice. Our minds, what do we do with our minds, by the way? We think, and our hearts, what do we do with our hearts? We feel. It guards two things, how we think and how we feel. This incomprehensible peace, this perfect peace. That's not make-believe. That's not some Cinderella story or fairy tale that I'm telling you. That's not some catchy Hallmark card. That's the truth of God's word. And it is a reality, regardless of circumstances. And Paul is saying to believers, the church at Philippi, do not let worry, stress, anxiety, difficulty, steal your joy. Because you can have perfect peace. And it will guard your mind and heart. Listen to how it continues. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall, shall guard your hearts and your minds in, and this is crucial, the reality of the source in Christ Jesus. And so he teaches us in the next two verses, intentional thinking. My son is 11 and he's an anxious soul. He really is. He gets some of that. He's inherited some of those struggles from me. And we've had some challenges along the way, and we will continue to. And so we are, are continually trying to remind him how to think. Cognitive behavioral therapy. This idea of, of thinking the right thing. And if you're thinking the right thing, then behavior follows and results. And so it's not coincidental that Paul, right after this, in the midst of an anxiety passage, says you got to think about the right things. For somebody who struggles with worry and anxiousness, this is so hard to do. 
And so he, he, he brings out the list. I remember having in youth ministry uh, a poster that on the top of it said, whatever. Uh, and then it listed this section of scripture. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Sometimes that is so incredibly hard to do. And so it may be that we have to have cognitive exercises in order to do it. Letter A, what is something that I can think of in this category that starts with the letter A? Go through the whole alphabet. Dr. Constable, you remember who I, I, I mentioned him? He, was, he did his thesis on prayer, and he was such a man of prayer. And I walked into his class, my first day of class, and he said, hello, Jonathan. And I'm like, hello, Jonathan. How do you know who I am? And he got the class roster, and he, he would be praying for us, and he would be very intentional in his prayer life. And he had all these exercises when he was in traffic. He'd look at the license plate in front of him and look at the letters. And he'd think of people he, know, he knew with that letter and pray for them. The intentionality of what we think about and, and what we consider, let your mind dwell upon, think on these things. That is harder for some of us than it is for others. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to do it. We don't get an out. John doesn't get an out because I struggle with anxiety and panic. So I, this doesn't, doesn't apply to me. This applies to me all the more. And guess what he says as he closes this section? Earlier, he said, and the peace of God. And now he, he says, let me tell you about the source of that peace. It comes from the God of peace. Isn't that beautiful? And the peace of God, which surpasses our comprehension and understanding, will guard our minds and hearts through Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. And then he identifies and flips it. The God of peace will, will be involved. Look at it with me. The things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Learn them. And live them. And when you do, look at what it says. And the God of peace shall be with you. Let me ask you this question. Do we believe this? In Andrew Peterson's song, like, what would the response be? We do. We do. But this is one of the go-tos that teaches us how we are supposed to think supernaturally in the midst of difficult days. It addresses our communion with God and the access we have to him through prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, different ways to communicate with him and what will result when we do. Peace. The peace of God from the God of peace. We have to think the way we're told to think and do what this text tells us to do. There's one more chapter four that often comes to mind when someone's struggling, going through difficulty, asking for my involvement in one way or another. 
and it happens to be from a favorite text of my dad's and a a text that we talked a lot about in his dying days. Uh, Dad taught for decades the book of Hebrews, loved the book of Hebrews. I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm looking forward to listening to recordings of him teaching the book of Hebrews. Not quite there yet. Uh, But Hebrews chapter 4 was monumental in my dad's dying experience. And so I'd love to look at that with you as we close our time uh, in the next 16 minutes or so. This concept uh, you've read about, if you are part of Northern Hills and have received email updates regarding various people in this body that are going through difficulty. Uh, Brother Phil would often reference this text and some of the language he used um, that we can boldly approach a place called the throne of grace, that we can receive something there. This is a great section and really appropriate for our minds and hearts as we prepare. We're supposed to, as priests, be reminded, just a little encouragement, we are all priests. And so what priests do, regardless of gender, by the way, be reminded of that beautiful reality, what priests do, regardless of gender, is that we prepare. We prepare as priests. And we bring as priests. And we offer as priests our sacrifices of praise. We're supposed to do that. That's the beautiful thing of the body gathering together and functioning as priests. And this section in the book of Hebrews, of course, has everything to do with our great high priest, the Lord Jesus, doesn't it? And it addresses who he is, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he has done on our behalf and what results. This is a go-to passage for us. Hebrews chapter 4, I'll pick up at verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. He says to let us hold fast our confession. For we do not, here's the truth, here's the reality. We do not have a high priest We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Don't you love that? Here's who Jesus Christ is. Here is what he has done. And here is what he is like and can do for us. And so because of his finished work, we can have access To a place. What do you even think about when you think about the the throne of grace? What comes to your mind conceptually as we are boldly approaching the throne of grace? We now can get there and have access always to the throne of grace. What comes to mind? You're welcome. Welcome. Always readily available. There's no line. Similar to the James who gives liberally without reproach. Throne and grace don't go together necessarily, right? When you think about a throne, you think about a sovereign ruler, the one who controls 
and then you bring in the concept of grace, unmerited favor, that doesn't naturally go together, but supernaturally it does for us. And that's where we can go to a place called the throne of grace. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. My dad made this uh, comment to me, and, and you will appreciate it and can imagine him saying it. He said, you know what, John? Dying is hard. I've never died before. And so as theologically sound as he was, and as practical as he was in his doctrine, the reality of death and experience it was something he had not experienced nor figured out completely. And so it was my routine to be with him a lot. And so I'd go in the morning and I'd spend much of the day there and would spend time with him. And he said, John, last night was a hard night. I didn't feel good. Uh, I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't rest. I was unsettled. Music was a big part of settling him. But he said, you know what I experienced, John? I experienced the reality of what I've taught for decades. That in the time of need, I would get the help I need. Mercy, grace, help comes when it is needed. And so he said, John, last night I experienced that. Help, mercy, grace, when it was needed. That's who our high priest is. And that's what we now have access to when we can boldly approach this place called the throne of grace. Let us therefore draw near, boldly approach with confidence to the throne of grace. Those words wonderfully go together when we think about our great God, the throne of grace, that we may receive what is promised. It's not you might, it's not, you know, it's possible. You will receive it. Mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. My dad said something else, um, and he said it to many who would visit him, and he repeated it. Uh, one of the realities of his struggle was that uh, his ammonia levels, because his liver was failing, his ammonia levels were high. And so we could tell, some of us could tell, uh, when his ammonia levels were high. And so I would say, Dad, your ammonia levels are high. He would say it to me when I wasn't thinking correctly. You've got some ammonia le- level issues. <laughs> but, but there were occasions where, where that was the case, and so he'd repeat and sometimes it wouldn't make sense. But one particular occasion, on several o- occasions, he would say, I've learned something through dying that I've never thought about until this death experience. I've learned something that those who are raptured will not experience. Now, listen, you need to understand this. And I know you've heard my dad say it here on numerous occasions. I've heard him repeat it here on numerous occasions. He grew up 
He grew up in a household that, that placed eschatology, the things to come, uh, before their family on a regular, consistent basis. We don't talk about that much at all, and that's uh, unfortunate. Um, but they would quote after every meal a passage from Thessalonians chapter 4, describing the beautiful reality of the return of Christ, the rapture for the church, rather. There's a difference. He knew it. He would quote it. And so I'm saying to you this. He believed in it and would have preferred to not experience death. I want you to know that. And that's my preference, too. Anybody else with me? I prefer that. But he said, you know what, John? What I've experienced, this final help and this final mercy and this final grace that I've desperately needed in this dying stage of life, a raptured believer won't experience that. Isn't that a crazy consideration? That's unbelievable to think about. That in the midst of, in the midst of approaching the reality of his last breath and being absent from the body at home with the Lord, he was rejoicing in the reality of mercy, grace, and help right when he needed it. That, a raptured saint, will not experience. So what do we do? What do we do in difficult days? What do we do when life is hard and it might not get easier? What do we do when this statement is true of most years? It's been a rough year. We do what Jeremiah taught us and teaches us. This I recall. This I recollect, this I bring to mind, therefore I have hope. We do what James teaches us in James chapter 1. We do what Paul teaches us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We do what Paul teaches us in Philippians chapter 4 in regards to our prayer life. And we do whatever the author of Hebrews teaches us in the book of Hebrews to boldly approach the throne of grace because we now have access we now have access. Let me ask you this question. It will require some thought at five minutes of the hour of eight. I want to ask you this question. Think about it. Thus far, what words have we seen in the various texts that we've considered that are ours, that are guaranteed to us and for us as we respond biblically to difficult days. What words are ours? And here's a hint, if you're not following me. They're often Christmas-like words. <laughs> winky, winky, hinty, hinty. <laughs> what words? Joy is one of those. I heard that. Peace is one of those. Comfort is one of those. Rejoice. What did you say, John? Wisdom. Hope and help, mercy, and grace. Do you see the connections? We've looked at random passages, right? But there's a pattern in each of them that says, when we do what we're supposed to do, this is what we can count on. And it's supernatural, it's something that we often won't be able to explain, 
but it gets us through. And it doesn't only get us through, it gets us through triumphantly. So as priests, let's prepare our hearts to worship and come together to bring what we've prepared and to offer our sacrifices of praise. What did, how did Paul begin the section we looked at earlier? Blessed be the name. May God be blessed. May God be adored. Let's give him the glory. Father, we are grateful. We are unworthy. And yet you, Father, in your compassion, in your mercy, in your grace, and in your kindness, in your comfort, you, Father, and the Son, the Lord Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, you all comfort and help us. And so we praise you that regardless of trial and difficulty and affliction and heartache and struggle and anxiety and stress, that we have these words that we've ended our session together considering. We have help. We have hope. We have joy. We have perfect peace. We have wisdom. We have access. We have mercy. We have grace. So may we respond appropriately in the midst of it all, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of comfort, which often happens simultaneously, may we indeed rejoice and give thanks. Help us to think the right way in a world that says it does not matter and teaches us to think the wrong way. Father, we're grateful for instruction from your word in regards to how we deal with difficult days. We praise you for these things. We adore you. We bless your name. We pray these things as your priests in the name of the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.